Hello and welcome to On Point, a podcast series of fresh thinking on the big topics for corporates and institutions. I'm Phil Lloyd, Head of Market Structure and Regulatory Customer Engagement, and this is a special year-ahead edition of On Point. We'll be talking about a key theme from our 2021 outlook, life after Brexit. And I'm also joined by Ross Walker, our Chief UK Economist, Paul Robson, Head of G10 FX Strategy for EMEA, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rates Strategy. So Brexit is such an important topic and theme, both UK politically and economically, but it seems that for most of this year, Brexit was drowned out by the the noise and the headlines from from COVID. Here at NatWest Markets, um, we are Brexit ready, oven ready, and our Dutch entity is set up. We've got staff, capital, and more importantly, uh, a way of servicing our European customers. So let's kick off um, starting more sort of top down or more macro view uh, from Ross. And and maybe, Ross, my first question is the markets have, I guess, reacted positively to trade deal developments. Um, Do you share this view? Yes, I I think our views look in line with with market pricing, namely the probability being attached to to some form of deal, probably a a fairly thin deal, uh, is, is fairly high. 75, 80% probability, something like that. Um, though not 95. I mean, the process is is still quite opaque. There are still some remaining stumbling blocks. So we're not quite there yet, but presumably within the next week or so, we would expect to see some significant development, quite possibly a, an agreed trade treaty text emerging. Okay. And, and what should we expect, do you think, um, in focusing on access to the economic markets and the Brexit trade deal, um, you know, how much more is there further to play out? Well, at the moment, it, it looks like the, the main stumbling block is is agreeing fishing access, uh, which is is in some ways quite technical, um, but it feels like uh, you know something which really accounts for 0.2 percent of, of GDP is is unlikely to hold up a, an eventual deal. So. We get the deal done. Uh, nevertheless, the, we, we think there will be some problems, some frictions in the first part, the early part of next year. And the Bank of England has, has estimated that, that some of these frictions, so problems, blockages around border um, checks, uh, additional bureaucracy, disruption to the supply chains, new IT systems, and so on, could knock a full percentage point off UK GDP. So, you know, as you said in the introduction, were it not for the pandemic, this, this would be a much bigger issue, I think, for markets. And the pandemic, therefore, should not completely uh, obscure the, the, the potential near-term difficulties around the Brexit deal. Um, the expected deal is largely goods-focused. Do, do you expect the UK uh, and Europe to embark on further trade negotiations and, and other sectors such as finance? It's... It's possible, but I think it's unlikely. You know, we, we've had several years where the UK and the EU have been working to hammer out some form of, of post-Brexit settlement. And I think there's a sense of, of exhaustion on both sides. Uh, so I think it will probably be a few years before the UK and, and EU re-engage in any comprehensive way, uh, perhaps trying to find some you know, treaty in, in, in services, for example. Uh, and, and I think politically, there's probably a motivation for the UK to try and find deals with, with third countries, most obviously the US, but also those uh, faster growing uh, Asian economies. Yeah, and, and talk to me about the US. So we've now got 
Biden and not Trump. How does that play out in from a UK standpoint? Well, most immediately, I think the positive is that because the, the incoming US administration is far less sympathetic to Brexit, and certainly uh, the White House will have greater concerns potentially around Northern Ireland and the Irish border. Uh, I think there is more immediate pressure on the UK government to get a deal with the EU. So I think this is one of the the positive factors in the near term. Um, However, an incoming administration uh, will have to make new executive appointments, a new trade secretary and so on. So I think the process may be a little bit slower than if you'd had um, Donald Trump being re-elected. And I I think as well, of course, the, the fundamental problem for the UK is that the the U.S. has far less need for a, a trade deal. There's much less urgency on the U.K. on the U.S. side. Thanks, Ross. So maybe we just sort of lift and, and look under the bonnet a bit more and bring Paul in. So from a currency markets perspective, so I guess Paul, like to what extent do you think recent sterling strength reflects the financial markets pricing in a Brexit deal with increased confidence? Well, I think it's clearly part of the story. A, a no deal Brexit has always been seen as the most negative type of Brexit in terms of currency uh, outcome. And financial markets have a couple of outcomes here. It's um, deal uh, versus no deal. They can assign probabilities and expected uh, changes in the the exchange rates. Bring all that together, that gives you a valuation for sterling. As those probabilities move, um, so will sterling. Um, And it looks like, judging by our conversations with clients, that um, markets have priced in a deal with more confidence, and that's translated into sterling strength. Um, that seems right from a currency perspective. You think there's been more talk of concessions on both sides. You've had a second COVID-19 uh, wave, which I think has just focused the minds on the importance of uh, getting uh, a deal. And also, there's so little sort of no deal advertising from the government just five weeks, six weeks until the end of the transition deal, it feels like markets would have priced that uh, with more confidence. Now, it's not the only thing, the only game in in town. You've had uh, recent news of a a vaccine. The UK economy has been hit very hard because of COVID-19 and it should benefit from a vaccine. I think that's reflected a little bit. Uh, And also, when you look at sterling dollar, it's important to remember that it's the, the dollar that's been under pressure. So, Cable has been a lot higher than perhaps you'd um, give it, you would have thought just simply on, on, on Brexit. But it, it's definitely uh, part of the story. And it means that if there is a sudden dip to um, a no-deal Brexit, then Sterling can move a very long way. And, and Paul, noting all the things that Ross talks about that are, are still to play out, how confident are you that these levels can be maintained? I'm much more confident about the, the short term and, and holding these, these levels. Over the medium term, over uh, one year, then I would be uh, much less confident. Over the short term, I think it's important to understand that international investors are probably underweight, UK assets, uh, maybe there's some short speculative positions. Uh, there's probably some long-term hedges uh, to, <clears throat> to protect uh, uh, UK assets from any kind of adverse impact from uh, Brexit. And of course, you've got a couple of catalysts that could squeeze that. So um, if we do get a deal, that no deal risk of 10, 20% goes to zero. Uh, that supports the, the currency. Uh, if we get a vaccine, for example, uh, coming a little bit earlier, I think that's going to um, play uh, positive as well. And also the infection numbers in the UK uh, are heading lower as well. So short term, 
uh, I think, quite quite positive. Uh, over the medium term, it, it's just less positive. You start thinking about Brexit's impact on the supply side of the economy, uh, free movement of labour, productivity, a bit more inflationary, uh, maybe a larger current account uh, deficit in the future. And crucially, uh, the level at which that can be sustained by foreign direct investment and portfolio flows. And if growth is expected to be weak, it's going to be harder. So sustainable current account uh, moves. Uh, and the other one is just the economic scarring from COVID-19. I know this um, call is about uh, Brexit, but um, as Ross has outlined in his various pieces, a very poor performance in Q3 just plays the idea that the scars are going to run quite deep. Uh, and that keeps growth low in a year where we think uh, growth expectations, relative growth are going to be really quite important. So that medium term outlook, uh, not so positive. Short term, uh, maybe potential for sterling gains against the safe haven currencies. Thanks, Paul. Quite quite sobering thoughts there. Um, maybe we move over to, to Theo now and then and, and look at the rates market. So Theo, so what do you think about the impact of Brexit deal and uh, the impact on the inflation market? Yeah, I think, first of all, the inflation market has been a clear indicator of market sentiment with regards to Brexit and the type of the deal to the extent that we have a deal and that deal seems to work. Obviously, this will push real yields higher. We expect a flattening of the real rate um, term structure. We do expect also inflation swaps at the front end of the curve to cheapen. So the market uh, trades at a premium. So this will be very significant for the front end of the curve. Um, I think that this is still an underpriced uh, risk. So Brexit and real yields, this will be big. And it means that we should expect real rates at the front end to move something between 15 to 20 basis points higher on the delivery of a deal. Thanks to all the speakers. I think um, naturally the focus is very much around the future of the UK economy. But actually looking a little bit close to home, we need to maybe consider the uh, financial market sector and how that's going to operate in a post-Brexit environment. Um, there's been a, a top-down consultation covering the UK regulatory framework ahead of uh, recommendation and changes to individual uh, regulations. Um, how does the UK want to regulate the financial services sector and how will this differ from today, I guess, is something that many people are looking at uh, beyond sort of the, just the, the UK economy. Um, it is clear that the UK will diverge from EU financial markets regulation, uh, especially the prudential regulation like BAL3. Uh, and the UK Treasury's consultation on the future financial framework should provide some um, some some input into uh, what we expect to go forward. And we've seen examples already where there's been divergence. I hope you enjoyed this episode of On Point. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this is the way we'll help others find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all the latest content. Speak to you soon.